Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money, and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by The Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, CEO and founder, and I am honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through paying it forward and giving back ethical business owners and holistic healers who are determined to create collective change in the world. Once we have a change in consciousness and through collective change, we can become one. Nicole Denema is a sustainability leader who cares deeply about creating collaborative spaces and uniting diverse groups to drive meaningful, tangible change at scale. What sets Nicole apart is that she is more than just a consultant. She's a nationally recognised, multidisciplinary practitioner, author and empowering educator with a philosophy rooted in innovation and grounded in meaningful inclusion. Equity should be at the centre of every conversation. Conversations like this one with Nicole need to become more commonplace to raise awareness on what we can do today to make a better tomorrow. Welcome, Nicole, to The Ethical Evolution. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to have a good conversation today. Me too. Now, um, for those who don't know who you are, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Nicole Denamer. Um, I use she, her pronouns, and I am a lawyer and sustainability consultant based in Seattle, Washington. There's a lot more behind all of that, but I think that's the, that's the high level. <laughs> yes. Now, we were lucky to catch up last week, and like what we learned is that we could literally talk forever um, because there's so much uh, that you do um, and that you cover um, that, you know, you make such a difference in what you do. So um, if we um, take a look at, at the primary things you do, so you've got um, your your company that you set up, right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I launched um, a company called Sustainable Strategies in January of 2020, which was a rather unfortunate time to mm. to start a new business, but part of uh, my ethos is, is innovation. So um but what I really do at Sustainable Strategies is um, I say apply a legal and risk management lens to sustainability consulting. So my background before launching that company was um, as an attorney. I practiced mostly construction and insurance coverage litigation um, here in Seattle for about 13 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bring that that experience and kind of describe it as like I've seen how projects succeed and how they fail. I mean, unsurprisingly, as this conversation goes through, a lot of my work focuses on the built environment, mm. um, not exclusively, but largely. Um, and so so my company is really focused on kind of a problem that I identified uh, working as a construction lawyer, which is working in towers. I realize this is a podcast, if I can't see what I'm doing with my hands <laughs> when I'm making this gesture of, you know, towers that are separated by space. Um doesn't get us to the innovation that we really need to drive specifically the collaborative part of that to make meaningful change at scale. And the change that I'm talking about is, is climate change specifically. And because buildings, the built environment is such a large contributor 
um, to that specific issue. So I kind of try to take that construction litigation background and quite frankly, a lot of the things that frustrate me about how the law is set up uh, and, and use that lens to try to drive innovation, problem solving strategies. We can get more deeper green, healthier projects and more accessible at scale. Yeah. And throughout your career, no doubt you've probably seen a, a change in our climate and the, and the way that uh, we actually, you know, build buildings now, right? Yeah. And I think particularly here in the Pacific Northwest, you know, we're very, um, I guess, fortunate to have a pretty high consumer and market and practitioner standard for I'll put this in quotes, green buildings or sustainable buildings. Um, we have governments that I'm, I'm going to generalize a lot here, but we kind of have to um, kind of support that. We have consumers that are really looking for those things. We have a lot of, you know, income in this area. There's a lot of reasons that kind of drive these different, these different things. So I see a lot of, um, oh yeah, of pretty deep green, sustainable Keystone projects here. Obviously love to see that more. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's important to meet people where they are. You know, the, I guess I didn't mention this, but I'm, I'm also an educator. I, I teach class at the University of Washington that I can talk about. But I think it's important to recognize that people come to sustainability at different times and different places. I'm using the word people, but we could say organizations or schools or whatever it is, right? And, and, and recognizing that um, you know, every starts somewhere. And it's important to just start. Mm. If I could say one thing over and over and over, it's just start somewhere, start analog, do something. Mm. Um, and that's what I love about what you do is that you don't just do what you do, you actually teach others how to do it and, and to share that knowledge so that we do spread this further. Um, and that's what this whole collective change is about. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, do a lot of reflecting on what's my purpose? Why are we here? You know? Um, and I think if there's anything, it's to, to share what I know, right. We all have unique, really specific life experiences and I believe those all have value. And so, you know, my background informs the, the way that I am and the work that I want to do. And I think it's a real gift to be able to teach and um, everyone can, and everyone has something to share. And so, yeah, I mean, I think if there's an, an opportunity to, help other people and that seems really general but I think you know specifically I tell my students that that we call the University of Washington UW so yeah if I use that shorthand that sounds kind of weird but um (laughs) it's it's, in sustainability it's changing so quickly that even with like the best technology what I can really offer them is a practitioner's perspective yeah like what does this actually look like and and how does it look like that and I and I think it's great that we're getting a much more global kind of educational system and for a bunch of reasons um but that opportunity to to share what we know to share that practical perspective because it's what people need and i'm so pleased to see particularly higher education moving from this kind of hypothetical theoretical place to practical Mm. let's get on the ground and do stuff um because that's all you need i cannot emphasize the need to do stuff with respect to climate change now yeah absolutely Uh, and, you know, um, when we uh, caught up last week, um, we were talking about, you know, what actually makes um, a building unhealthy uh, for people to live in or exist in. Um, and we went through many facets of that that most people aren't aware of or just don't think about. Um, what kind of stuff do you tackle with in, in that area? Yeah, and I think it's a, if I could give just a little bit of context, I yeah. think what's kind of um, the way that I look at it, you know, I'm making these gestures with my hands, but, um, you know, we saw kind of, I, I, I use this example. If we put like green building, all those concepts in a circle, maybe 30 years ago, um, at, at least kind of where I am geographically was kind of the beginning of green building. And, and we thought about things like water and energy, maybe a little bit about materials, more the buildings impact on the environment. Right. And then, then that idea of a green building expanded a little bit more as, technology got better as more practitioners got out there and added more and we thought a little bit more broadly about green to maybe more resilient buildings as we looked at the impacts of the changing climates and then fast forwarding maybe 10 or 15 even 20 years uh, kind of these these terms have expanded a lot right so we could think about resilience and we could think about maybe we got a little bit more focused on healthier materials as the science caught up 
And then now in the past five years or so, you know, the, the, the term that you used of a healthier, healthier, or the flip side of that, an unhealthy building has really come to the forefront. And then the pandemic has really highlighted, I think, just how unhealthy um, the spaces that we spend. Every time I throw this statistic out here, people are always kind of shocked that the average, at least in North America, this varies geographically, but is about 90% of our time indoors. Mm. Just, you know, I always joke, I went to law school because there's no math, but, you know, get out a calculator and take your age, multiply by 0.9. And that's the number of years that you spent inside. Wow. And right. <laughs> like, so, pause and think about, and that's an average, right? And so there's obviously some more and some less, but that's still a really high number. And most, again, I'm going to generalize a lot, but it's for the purpose of making a point is that most people don't put a lot of thought into the quality of that space and also i think there's a you know at least in the u.s there's there's a assumption that people know what's in the things that are in those spaces right so being a little bit less abstract and a little bit more specific so like i live in a multifamily apartment building Mm -hmm. i don't know what kind of paints on the walls i don't know what kind of flooring has been used i don't know anything about air filtration systems and things like that but i spend 90 percent I'm a pretty active outdoor person. So the numbers put maybe a little bit less. Low me, still, like, <laughs> a lot of time in here. Right. And, and I think there's kind of this, this misconception of a right to know. And at least in the, in the U S that's just not the case. And I think people should have a right to know what goes in and on and around their bodies. And that's just not, that's just not the case. Um, I don't know if I actually answered your question, but was it given a little bit of context on healthier buildings, right? Yeah. Um, I think your question was, how do I see that show up in, in, in my work or remind me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know when we we caught up, we were talking about things like bathrooms and, and even, um, you know, accessibility and those kind of things. Yeah, so um, I am a nerd for language, and I think that's the – the lawyer in me, right? And that's why I think about things like green and sustainable and healthy and talk about how those terms have changed over time because I think it's important to to think about the power of those words, right? Mm. Like how my students go through this example where we um, we talk about how the law has uh, directly or indirectly, explicitly or implicitly defined terms like green and what happens when you don't define those terms. Mm. So, same thing with healthy, right? And as as I've seen kind of my industry move from green to sustainable to healthy is kind of really the benchmark now that term healthy is really important to pay attention to, I think, because health is such a personal thing. And, and this is what we were, we were talking about. And it also encompasses, uh, I think concepts like safety and accessibility and inclusion. And the flip side of that is, is exclusion. Right. And so I think, how do we think about a, I think it's important to challenge that idea of health or healthy and make sure that it is an inclusive mm. space. Um, and so, so it's your point about bathrooms, right? So one way is that spaces can include folks or excuse me, exclude folks is if they can't use the building or it's unsafe. So I'll use a personal example with myself, obviously it's a podcast, so people can't see me, but mm. I am over six feet tall. I'll say rather androgynous presenting woman who identifies as lesbian Mm -hmm. right and so i quite frequently even in the seattle area which is a pretty progressive place Mm. get pulled out of bathrooms by you know men who see me walking in the door and assume that i'm going in the wrong place and might say hey you know you're in the wrong spot or i might you know scare or frighten someone who thinks that i'm in the wrong place when i'm washing my hands that's an upsetting situation for yeah. us, right? I'm embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Someone might be upset. Um, and so that's, that space doesn't feel safe to me. Mm. And, and I'm only speaking from personal experience because that's all I can talk to. There's lots of other ways that spaces exclude folks. And it's important to have those, those conversations too. Um, but I think if we're talking about healthy. We have to talk about safe spaces. And so mm. like, do I feel safe in that space um do i wait until enough people are out of the bath i could tell you every bathroom in downtown seattle (laughs) that is a gender neutral like option or is kind of like you know in the back of a building enough that i know that i'll be 
safe to just go and use the restroom and come out. Bathrooms are kind of like the great equalizer. Everyone has to use them. Yeah. Um, and so to your, to your point and kind of how my work dovetails with that is I think it was always challenging people to think about how when we use terms like health or healthy, they're super personal terms. We can kind of dig into that a little bit, but like making sure that they're accessible to everyone um, mm. and safe. Safety is a big thing. And that's a, I think that's a term that, that buildings in particular are struggling with moving from like, like life safety, fire, ingress, egress issues to how do we deal with this pandemic for as mm. long as it continues? How do we think about the next one and the next one? Because, you know, we all know this is not an isolated situation, right? Yeah. And this is a really long way of answering your question, but saying <laughs> that like, I think healthier buildings, and then we can kind of expand that even further. Some of the other things we were talking about, which are respect to like, cognitive architecture, mm. neurodiversity, spaces that just set people up for success wherever they are in their particular spectrum of the human experience. And I think that's really a healthy building. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, we're seeing such a change in in the way construction and building is happening, um, right down to the materials and, um, you know, the sustainability behind that and the durability behind that. I mean, obviously, with the changes in climate, um, I know here in Australia, you know, they've changed um, the rating on buildings so that they can withstand cyclones and fires and floods, you know, and, and we're not alone in that. Um, are you seeing that over there too? Yeah, I think there's a couple points to that. One is that a phrase that's often thrown around in my industry is the greenest building is the one that's never built. Mm. Um, if you can reuse the space or the materials or construct in such a way that it is can withstand those kind of, um, I hate to even call them natural disasters anymore because they're really human made. Um, yeah. That's a whole other <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, but, you know, or reusing historic structure or the materials, you know, we can kind of get into the nitty gritty of, of carbon and not just carbon, operational carbon, but embodied carbon, which is probably a bit too detailed here, but exactly what you're talking about of how mm -hmm. do we kind of reuse spaces or make sure that we don't have to completely tear them down and bring them back up. And so that's kind of the first thing. And then I think the, the second reaction I kind of have to what you're saying is as an advocate practitioner and educator, multi-hatted person, I think it's it's tough to, to, to toe this line between we have to continue doing the work with respect to, to mitigating climate change mm. and, and full speed ahead. Um, we should be 10,000 times doubling our efforts and not doing things like flying to space for fun, but that's a whole nother, a whole nother <laughs> podcast. We should be putting that energy into clean energy, for example. But at the same time, you know, the, the reality is our climate is changing and we need structures that can withstand the ch a changing climate and we need people to be prepared. You know, a lot of, back to the point of a healthier building, I do talk and, and advocate and educate people both through my company and as a teacher on how do you think about air filtration in, in your space, even in my little space here, because in, you know, Seattle, we had some pretty bad wildfires a couple of years ago, last mm. year, this is expected to be the worst wildfire season. Um, and so I also need to think about my more like kind of immediate safety in my space, as well as how do we double down on these kind of climate efforts, keep people going, keep people uh, engaged and enthusiastic about it without getting into this kind of oh, this is an overwhelming problem that I can't actually do anything about because that is 100% not true. Mm. And so um, like, so there's there's a lot of different ways, I think, to think about that durability issue and how it relates to how do we kind of manage continuing to contribute to the problem. So let's kind of try to, try to back that off. And then how do we kind of also think about being safe in these spaces, knowing that the climate's going to continue changing, um, at least for, you know, it's not going to immediately stop changing if we say stopped all emissions right now. It would still change a little bit. So that's it. And you know, uh, there's a lot of people when you talk about climate change, they're either on one side of the fence or the other, aren't they? Like um, they either believe in it or they don't. And I know that um, you know it's something we can't deny any longer. Um, what kind of advice would you give to people who think that they can't make a difference in this in this space? Yeah. 
That's a great question. And I think, you know, what I say is think about scale, mm. right? So if I drove back when we went to offices and things like that, if the common analogy is driving your car less because people can visualize that and they yeah. can relate to it on an individual scale. If I drove my car one day less, would that make a significant one day a week, right? Let's just use that as an example. Would that make a significant impact with respect to climate change? No. But if everyone in my community did that, sure. Mm. And even broader than that, if we then expanded it, you know, to everybody in the city and everybody, you know, I, I challenge people to think about scale because if you just think about your individual conduct, you can kind of go, oh, that does that make a difference if I, you know, do this, that, or the other? Or recycling is another good one. The problem recycling is, is problematic for a bunch of reasons, but we're actually getting people to try to use less plastic. So if you use less plastic, buy things that are not packaged in plastic or use less plastic, your individual effort might feel like it's a drop in the bucket. But if you, you know, whatever group, um, we are humans that crave organization and community, right? So most people hopefully have some type of system that or community that they belong to. So whatever your community is, whether it's a church group or a school or a neighborhood, right? Get, talking about these things and mm. advocating for them, I think is, is the way that it creates meaningful change personally to people. And also because everybody loves to teach whether or not they want to, or whether or not they know it or think about it that way, you're, everyone's parents taught them good, bad, or otherwise you have to kind of think through those lessons on your own. You're constantly teaching everyone you talk to everyone you interact with. Um, and so you can teach community members what you know about this, what mm. you know about plastics or recycling or reducing things, and then advocate for change. There is huge change to be had with corporations right now, and it's going to be driven by consumers. And we're mm. seeing it already. Back to your point about materials um, in, in the architectural design community in Seattle, I'll give an example of that. We did a lot of work with respect to the impacts that building materials had on human health. Mm. Off-gassing things like VOCs um, is, is probably the biggest example. And so the architectural design community here which is pretty big, basically got together and said, look, we're not going to spec products that don't at least disclose what's in them yep. as, a, as a first step. And then once we know what's in there, if it has these things, we're not going to spec them. And so as you can imagine, all the manufacturers out there kind of went, oh no, I what you know, because I want these big design firms to put my product in their project and then it's in the magazines and, and you know, mm. not only is it just like direct dollars from purchasing it, but they really drove a revolution, I think, by advocating, um, you know, in this way and collectively advocating, right? That wouldn't have worked if just one architecture firm mm. said, we're going to do this. It worked because they all worked together. And these are competitors, right? And it, it, I think it's a really neat example of that kind of scale. Mm. And it goes to the point about the pandemic, right? Like we thought, oh, we can never make working from home work. Mm. It, it, it's it's worked, right? I uh, honor and acknowledge that different folks have different challenges with working from home, but for the large part, you know, it's been able to happen. That mm. it was impossible, right? Oh, well, these manufacturers probably would have said, oh, it's impossible to create a window without any phthalates or whatever the example is, right? It's not impossible. Mm. We can do these things. We just need the motivation to do them and it's it took these this kind of architecture firm collective um you know pushing that conversation I think that's that's really important I love that you know and all it takes is one decision um by by the collective um to to lead that change and yeah imagine if we all just did our little bit um every day and that's how how that collective change happens absolutely and it's Consumer driven, right? Yeah. Or it, it, it ultimately will need to be, right? The, you know, again, I sort of apologize that I'm using examples from my region, but that's what I've got. So, yeah. you know, we have like Microsoft making big, bold climate commitments, and that's super important. Yeah. And and really moving the needle, and they have the resources and the and the and the folks to do that, and it's great. And that work needs to continue. There's also your average person who goes to buy a product. If enough people send those emails make those calls and push back on manufacturers, you can drive change. And we're, we're really seeing that now. And I think that that's an important kind of, we need this multi-layered everybody kind of approach to, to climate change. And, and I think that's an important part of it. 
Yeah. Now, um, in, in the conversations I've had with you, no doubt, um, you know, through what we've learned, um, you've been through some, some definite challenges. In the work that you do, what would you say is the biggest challenge you have and how do you overcome it? That's a good question. Um, there's, there's a lot. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenge is getting, past the the response of but this is the way it's always been done yeah and so a more I guess drilling down on that and being a little bit more specific is so um you know a lot of what I do is advocate for looking at risk in a different way Mm. so more specifically when I'll use this term doing quotes green buildings Mm. first kind of came out in the market uh, and again I'm going to overgeneralize here but it's for purposes of kind of answering the question there was a segment of the legal community, for example, that said, well, don't build these projects, don't work on them, they're too risky. There's too much risk associated with using new products, using new incentives, these new lead was still kind of new then. So like, what is a certification program? How does it fit in the contracts? And those are good things to think through. But what I do is try to, let's look at that framework and the way it's always been done, we don't want to do something new. Think about, we have a rapidly changing climate coming up behind us. And that is the biggest risk that we have all collectively faced, right? It has significant risks as disproportionate impacts to physical structures and human health. It is the biggest risk that we face. If you're telling me that trying to move flooring material is too risky, but it significantly has let's say a reduced carbon impact or reduced impact on, uh, you know, off gases, significantly less VOCs makes a much healthier place for the people who are in there. I'm going to look at that risk differently. Mm. I'm not advocating for (laughs) recklessly trying things. I'm actually pretty risk averse, but I think we have to think about the way, does the way that it's always been done fit the reality that we're currently in? And I think the answer is no for a lot of things, or at least maybe not. And let's look at it. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that's the biggest thing thing that I face, and it's it's hard to move an industry. And honestly, mm. that's why I got into teaching. I think we talked a little bit about this. I intentionally teach a multidisciplinary course, not in the law school, despite the fact that I'm the best. I guess, credentials to teach in the law school being a lawyer. I teach in the College of Built Environment here. And I think that's actually a credit to the University of Washington to have people like me working across disciplines Mm. because I wanted to create this space where folks in different industries could collaborate on these problems. Like buildings contribute so much to climate change. Mm. We can do so much better. Let's, Let's do that because the way it's always been done is not working yeah and and we need we need to do it differently yeah that was really long (laughs) (laughs) I love it now Nicole I gotta ask you this one can you define for me what being ethical means to you you know I like definitions (laughs) that's a hard one I mean I think I think I'd almost come back with a question and it would be, what aren't we thinking about Mm. or what are we missing? Um, You know, I, I do a lot of my work as as we talked about focuses on how do we, how do we ensure not only that these spaces are green, sustainable and healthy, but that they're accessible. And I could, you know, we could talk about accessibility from a mobility standpoint. We could talk about accessibility from a financial standpoint. We don't only want, you know, healthy for the wealthy. Mm. We want, healthy for everyone. I think it's a basic human right. Um, but that's not the reality right mm. now. And that's why we need to push that change. Right. So, so ethical, I think is asking like, what are we missing? And often that means who else do I need to talk to? Right. As a, you know, I'm a minority in certain respects, but I'm also a white person. Mm. So thinking about what's my privilege in that space and who else do I need to be talking to? Um, because that's where I sit. And so, you know, ethical is, as I think saying, okay, what don't I know? What can't I bring to this experience? And what do I, who else do I need to ask or include here? Um, because the, the chances are that there are many more perspectives that need to be included. 
Yeah, I, I love that perspective, and I, I love asking that question. There's no, there's no wrong answer to it, you know. Um, I, I absolutely love <laughs> That's it. That's a hard question. <laughs> um, so um, you're teaching um, at the moment. Um, what are the future plans that have have you got um, in your work? Um, yeah, so I teach. Um, right now, I teach the class that I developed, so it's called Risk and Reward and Sustainable Development. I would like to teach more classes mm-hmm. and I'd like to teach more classes that focus on healthier buildings. Um, again, if I'd put those, that word in quotes, <laughs> if I could, um, I think it's also like an access to knowledge thing. Like I said, like, I think, you know, not just teaching to grad students or university folks, but, um, you know, during the pandemic, I, my company lodged, a how to create a healthy home office mm-hmm. little course, because I wanted people who were working at home to have a sense of at least the things that they could you know, managing their work from home space, honoring and recognizing that every everyone faces different challenges with, with respect to that. So I'm, I'm really interested in kind of getting that healthier buildings knowledge out further. Yep. Um, and then I'm interested in, quite frankly, growing a business, um, you know, showing that multidisciplinary folks like me add value um, to kind of this new context mm-hmm. and, and like I said I'm not I'm by no means the only one um there are there are other folks out there and so kind of showing how um we can get out of those powers right I'm I'm very intentionally not a lawyer practicing construction law anymore mm-hmm. um I'm a sustainability consultant who brings that perspective to my work to try to help project teams drive deeper green more innovative spaces and think about risk differently and analyze it differently I can tell you all the ways that buildings fail because that's where the lawsuits come in, yeah. right? Let's talk about the ways we can make them succeed based on that knowledge of how they fail. Mm. And let's talk about the people that are in there and how we can get those spaces to support them to do their best work, whether it's as simple as like opening a window, improving the air quality, or whether it's as simple as kind of understanding, as I said, like the whole breadth of the human experience. How do we look at neurodiversity and celebrate everyone and what they need in those spaces. How do we take the stress of me trying to find a bathroom off so that I can just do my work. Right. And so I think, you know, kind of thinking about these spaces differently is, is something I'm really interested in um, and kind of taking that to the next level. So. Yeah. And there's a few things come up there for me. Um, and yeah, particularly the home office thing. I mean, in the last year, our homes have become a whole new place. Um, you know, they're not just where we live, but they're also where we work. Um, and you know, also schooling. Um, so there's so much that the home now has become, and I think there's um, quite a lot of um, smarts that can be put in place um, to make that effective um, so that, one, you don't implode through this pandemic. Um, it, it does really help. Um, so having that out there, that's that's amazing. So um, and the other part of it um, is, you know, what you do, we really need to build more awareness because people just don't know what they don't know. Um, and that's why we're here today. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that's a that's a really important point because, like, you know, I say it over and over that I think we're seeing this increase across industries from like apparel to I don't know furnishings or in buildings and whatever. I think people have a right to know. And again, I'm talking about U.S. laws here that it's it's different in other places, but um, what cosmetics is another great example. Yeah. Have a right to know what's in these things that literally get absorbed Mm. into them. That's just not the case. And, and I think if you like, I just keep saying that and like some it's going to click and we put some of our, you know, worst, most toxic materials, for example, in carpets of kindergarten, kindergarten classrooms. Mm. And, you know, kids are crawling around on the floor and, you know, touching their face. And I, I often challenge this with the like, why is this acceptable? Why is this okay? It's mm. not, you know, I don't have children. I'm basically advocating for my friends' kids, but, you know, I think, you know, we think through these things and there's kind of this question of there's a right to, to know, but it's not really there. And, and how do we, how do we change that? And like I said, we're, we're seeing that driven. I think it's first coming with respect to climate disclosures. We're seeing companies put the 
the carbon emissions from a product, little stickers on, on there so consumers can have a better understanding of that. They were going to see next kind of the most toxic materials disclosed, hopefully. Um, but I mean, there's also, you know, lots of social justice issues tied up in those things with respect to accessibility. If things get more expensive because of this, mm. that's not what we want. Um, so it, it's a complicated question, I think, but just, just challenging or reminding people the law does not provide that protection for you. And that gets to the point of like, what's a healthy space do you even know what's in that space? Um, and should you start asking questions and advocating for yourself? You know, if there's one thing I can teach people from being a lawyer, it's that you've got to advocate for yourself. Yeah. And and and, we, and those that have the ability to do that need to advocate for others because we're not all in the same position to be able to advocate. And so it's important to speak up for other folks as well. Yeah. I got on a bit of a soapbox there for a minute, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you do raise a really good point there in that, and and this is, you know, probably a, a bit of a perspective that a lot of people have, but it's also a reality that, um, you know, when we choose and make the decision to uh, use products or materials that are eco-friendly, ethical, green, whatever, um, there is a more expensive price tag on them. And then that then makes them less accessible. Yeah. So we can see where the struggle is, right? Yeah. I mean, I wish I had a good answer for that. Um, it, other than keep talking about it, keep raising it, keep explaining why this isn't okay. And, you know, keep advocating, you know, as I said, I'm fully recognized that I'm in a position of privilege, keep advocating for, others that aren't or are not the same space that I am exact right words to use, but um, you know, I think it's important to just keep having those conversations. And that's also why it's important to think about when we're talking about healthy again, that I don't know who coined this term, but that healthy for the wealthy, if I keep saying it, it'll keep reminding people that we need to keep thinking about affordable housing Mm -hmm. and all all the different options that are out there. And um, yeah, it's, it's a complicated question, but I think it's also why we need to talk about healthy buildings as accessible buildings. And from, like I said, a mobility standpoint, a financial standpoint, I'm sure there's lots of other standpoints that I'm I'm missing, but those are the two that kind of come to mind. Yeah. And it can be hard for people to even focus on this um, in, in some demographics of society. Um, I know here in Australia, and it's probably the same there in the US, that there is actually a housing crisis here at the moment um, where people are like living in caravans because they just can't find housing that's affordable um, for them to live in. So, you know, when we then talk about sustainability um, and healthy living, it pr- practically goes out the window. Yeah, then I think that gets to the point of like meeting folks where they are, right? You know, we have mm. lots of folks here in the Seattle area who are experiencing homelessness, and yeah, we need to have folks housed first um, mm. and and kind of work on on all those issues uh, simultaneously. I don't know exactly the right way to, th- to talk about it, but it's it's important to think about health in a holistic and community sense mm. um, as well, and you know, to your point, advocating for, you know, how do we think about housing in different ways um, and making sure that, you know, we get folks housed first and that we also think about, again, moving away from this healthy for the wealthy and how do we mm. keep spaces affordable. Um, and I would argue, you know, this, <laughs> this would get into like a whole other like four hours of podcast, <laughs> but like the idea that greener or healthier spaces are more expensive is, not entirely true. I think we can challenge that idea um, and and think about longer term costs and also, you know, whatever people, developers, if someone say that, like, what's going to be too expensive? I'm like, do, do you realize what you just said? Like, it's 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 too expensive to take a toxic out of a out of a out of a school, for example. Mm. You're, and you're okay with that? Like, let's let's unpack that. Let's think about that. Like. I don't know, the human costs and the environmental costs and climate change and, and, you know, part of the environmental movement is that we've never really internalized the externalities, external benefits that we get from the environment, right? And we've never paid the costs associated with damaging it. Mm. Um, And, and, you know, what are the human costs um, for those things? It's, uh, they're tough questions. I wish I had better answers to them, but (laughs) I think it's, 
yeah, it's, it's important to keep the conversation going. It's important to have platforms like yours to, to talk about them. Mm. Um, yeah, it's one of those things you just can't put a dollar value on, really. Um, no. <laughs> and to even no, question that, it. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, and that's kind of the other strategy is, like I said, like when, you know, I get this idea of like, well, that's too expensive. I'm like, one, you're not thinking about costs the right way. Mm. And then two, you're, you're going to really look me in the face and tell me that it's too expensive to take this toxin out of a product where people are going to live. And it gets to healthcare and how we don't focus on preventative costs um, or preventative care, you know, and that's one of the arguments for healthier buildings to kind of, I guess, bring it a bit full circle is that healthy building strategies. And what I mean by that, I realize you get a little bit technical because I do this stuff all the time, but would be something like improving the air quality in Mm. a commercial space. Let's just use that as an example. If you have a relatively large office building and you do something to improve the air quality, everyone who goes into that space benefits Mm. from that. There's no opt-in, there's no participation. A lot of the problems with like, I don't know, we have these in the U.S. a lot, these like corporate wellness programs Mm. are, you know, you've got to wear your Fitbit or do whatever it is. People have to participate in one way or another. You can incorporate these passive design strategies Mm. where everyone that goes through the space benefits from that. And we can now, because of some of the work that's coming out of Harvard School of Public Health is a great example. A couple of researchers there are doing a lot of really good work actually quantifying those benefits from uh, health savings and a like, this term can get a little a little complex, but productivity um, standpoint, mm. right? And so, if you that and that's just one example, right? We could think about um, things like natural daylighting, acoustic changes, um, and, and different things. But healthier buildings strategies benefit everybody that goes that goes in that space. And I think that's an important thing to think about when we think about preventative care. You're going to pay a lot of costs when people get sick. Let's talk about pushing those costs, which I would argue are not significant to make a building healthier Mm. and try to keep folks healthy from the beginning and everyone, not just people who can afford it, but everybody who moves through a space. And that gets to the point of like, that's the way it's always been done. At least mm. again, in the U S our healthcare system has been set up to wait till you get sick and then have a pharmaceutical intervention. And instead of kind of, how do we think about keeping people well and mm. buildings are really a public health tool and their health delivery tool. If you leverage them the right way. And I, th- I think that's really getting a bit technical, but yeah. <laughs> an important point to make. Oh, it just makes me think of the definition of insanity. You keep doing the same thing and expecting a different output, you know. Um, Yeah, 100%. It's where we've got to make the change. Now, Nicole, if people want to find out more about you and get in touch with you, where can they go? Yeah, so they are welcome to visit our website. Um, This will be in text somewhere, but it's at Sustainable Strategies PLLC for a professional limited liability company. And so I had to put that on the end. Um, you can also find us on Instagram. It's probably a little bit of Facebook. You can find me, Nicole Denamer on LinkedIn and also on Medium. I try to write about some of the things that I've talked about with um, perhaps a little bit more structure, um, but I found that pl- platform to be pretty useful. So those would be the best places. Yeah. And uh, I've checked you out on Instagram and um, I, I actually love some of the, the perspectives you have. So I, I actually found myself reading one of your posts this morning and I was like, wow, this is amazing stuff. Like stuff that <laughs> the regular person would not even think of. So yeah, um, go and check it out um, if you can. Now, Thank got, you. That's very generous. I got the last big question for you, Nicole. What's yep. the change you'd like to see and how can we bring it to life? Unfortunately, I've already said this, but uh, so it's a bit of a spoiler alert, but I think the change I'd like to see is reframing how we think about things Mm. and challenging the traditional frameworks or old ways of doing things because they just don't work anymore. The biggest, I think, example is operating as if our climate is not rapidly changing. Mm. Many, many people and corporations are doing that and that's just not the case. And so how do we think about I don't know about you, but, you know, we just encountered this, this heat dome here in the Pacific Northwest. It was incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. And again, I'm a very privileged person who could kind of manage that. There were many other people who were more severely impacted than mm. myself. And that is not an isolated incident in 
with respect to climate change. Mm. So I would say challenging those notions of, okay, well, this is the way, and, and anyone can do this, right? This, you could bring it down to the consumer level and say, well, I've always bought this one product. And if you're like me, I open something up and I'm like, why is this in three separate bags or yeah. containers? Like, what is this? And sending an email, or if you are in, you know, work in the corporate context, why don't we, I always give this example. Why isn't the default on every printer to be double-sided? Why are we printing things? But if you are, why isn't the default double-sided? And these things actually make a difference. There's a law firm in Seattle that's kind of instituted some of these, these small changes, and they see significant cost savings. Mm. But the odd thing about sustainability is a lot of it is asking people to actually use less, and things that we use less of cost money. Mm. So it's really, there's this weird dichotomy of like, well, sustainability is more expensive. A lot of times it's actually asking people to use less of a resource that costs something. We don't internalize the true cost and that's a huge problem. But if you use paper as an example, which mm. is a pretty rudimentary example, but nonetheless. So I think, you know, the, the change I'd like to see is people asking questions and advocating at whatever level they're at. You know, if you're the C-suite, do it there. If you are a consumer of a product, you know, going to the store, do it there because these little changes actually make a difference. Um, and I think I kind of did this early, but I was something like start small, start analog. This stuff doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be, it can get super technical. We have all kinds of cool techie things. You can also be an Excel spreadsheet, um, you know, but start small, start analog, start where you are. Don't start from a place of shame, start from a place of empowerment and inform decision-making and, and do something. This is like an all hands on deck situation. And, and climate is an interesting thing because it's such a shared resource and humans don't like to work together. But, you know, if you, as I said, if you, if you saw my Instagram post this morning, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something related to, you know, the only way we're going to get out of this is together. Mm. And so, um, you know, we, we need everybody and to shift that thinking of well, my contribution doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. You Absolutely. 100% matters. Yeah. And that was a long answer. <laughs> uh, no, I love it. Absolutely love it. And, um, you know, we as the people, we have the power and we just got to be conscious. Um, we, our whole problem is that we just go through life in autopilot and we don't actually think about the consequences of every single thing we do. You know, and I've, I think I've said this to you and many other guests on the show, um, you know, what I do today impacts your tomorrow. And, you know, as you said, when you see something that's got more packaging than it should, speak up, you know. You, you've got a responsibility to speak up. Um, I actually did that, can I tell you. Um, during, yeah, the, during, the pandem- during the pandemic, I did a little bit of online shopping, right, and um, – I'm actually going to name the retailer, Kmart. Um, they, they sent me this huge box and there was so much packaging and bubble wrap in that thing. I swear to God, I could have wrapped a mummy. Um, so I posted it on Instagram and I tagged them and I said, really, really, do we need this much? Anyway, um, I, I did get a response about their sustainability commitments and blah, 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 and they said that they will change things, and, yeah, they did respond. So props to Kmart, um, and I think we've just got to speak up. And, you know, by doing it in that platform but not doing it in a shame kind of way, doing it in a can-we-do-better um, kind of frame, I think you're not only telling the people responsible but you're also sharing that story. 100%. Mm. Uh, I, I love that story. I, I and I think to your point, like climate change is a completely human created problem. Mm. We like we did this. Yeah. Let's undo it. Mm. Um and I and I love your story. And I think, you know, one of the things that I guess I said a lot, one of the things I didn't say is one of the ways to really engage with sustainability. Some of the work that I focus on is with respect to storytelling as a, as a tool stories resonate with human brains. We mm. love stories. That's, you know, why <laughs> use the Olympics as an example. People love stories. They want to hear that. Same thing with sustainability. You know, your story about Kmart, I'll remember if anybody else shares their stories, um, you know, those things make a difference. I did a sort of TEDx style talk on this and it was called nobody cares about darning polar bears, which sounds like, I'm not an environmentalist, but whatever <laughs> the point I was, right? You can find it. Uh, the point I was making is that 
in the environmental movement, we were bombarded with these images of drowning polar bears and these kind of sad things that don't, you feel sad, right? Like your heart feels pulled. You're like, oh, I feel bad for that polar bear. And I partially created this problem because we're all responsible, but it doesn't inspire you to action, Mm. right? It it just makes you feel sad or guilty or shamed as opposed to like, you know, your story, you just shared like, hey, I saw something, I said something and, and it actually changed or you presume it did on the back end, right? Mm. And so like, that's an empowering story or I could tell you a story about my hometown or tell you a story about an experience that I had. And, And I think that, that power of storytelling, getting to my point of like the analog, do something. Stories are a great way to to connect with folks. And I'll, I'll send you the link to that talk. You can look at it. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. Oh, Nicole, I can't thank you enough for this very, very important conversation that we've had today. Um, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the ethical evolution. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great. I, I really appreciate your platform and your message. And yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're an ethical business owner, change maker or holistic healer who's determined to make a change in the world and you need support to spread your message, visit ethicalchangeagency.com to collaborate. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.